turn with me in your Bibles this morning. I have a word I think applies very much to this day and this hour that we're living in and want to speak to you from this passage of Scripture this morning. From Acts, the 16th chapter, the 11th verse, and continuing from there. As I read uh, the, the record of the journeys of Paul and Silas, as they continued to go into the Roman Empire, spreading the gospel as the Lord gave them grace and open doors. And he says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and next to this came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and may the Lord open our hearts this morning to heed the things that are spoken by Scripture. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And the girl followed Paul and us and he cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. That's not the kind of advertising you want, by the way. But anyway, but, and this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to her in the spirit, I command you in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And when her master saw that her, their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrate and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanded the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. Hallelujah. 
And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light. He ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour and night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and his family were baptized. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What an amazing story. Amen. The book of Acts is the travel records of the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul. And in that ancient time, there was a saying that all roads lead to Rome. And every road that they went down eventually led to Rome. Now, sometimes they turned to the left to go over here, or they turned to the right to go over there, and sometimes they reversed, went back to Jerusalem, and started all over again. But they kept going because they knew the gospel had to penetrate the heart of the Roman Empire. If that society and that civilization was going to change, the gospel had to be preached to kings and to princes. The testimony of the Lord had to be carried to the whole empire, and it had to be carried into the capital city and proclaimed there even before Caesar himself. So what we have just read is, is kind of a, a, a looking in at a certain part of that journey, and I want to go into it a little more in depth later. But I want to point out something about the working of the apostles the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, We were in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in parables in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now that's an overview of the things that the apostles endured for the sake of the gospel. They did that under circumstances where they were faith, constant opportunity, position. They did not get a fair hearing. They were drugged before the magistrate, and the magistrates were so full of anger and hatred and indignation, they tore their own clothes. When the judge rips his robe off, you're in trouble. They had caused a great stir. The government of that day was in no way in sympathy with what the apostles were doing. The accusation against them was they have come here and they're teaching customs that are contrary to Roman law. In other words, they're traitors. They're lawbreakers. And they're teaching others to be lawbreakers. And this was the accusation brought against them. 
Now, I'm sharing that with you this morning because we need to understand that the gospel went forth even when Christians were not a a majority. They were a very small number against a very great opposition, but they still were able to do what God called them to do, and they were able to take the gospel to their society and to their generation. And I'm saying that because I know many people are worried about our nation. They're worried about the results and the outcome of this last election. And it may not be decided for a while. We don't know. I don't know that anybody knows. All I know is there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of contention. And things are going to be tough for a while. But there's one thing that's very obvious to me about America that the majority of Americans are no longer a moral majority. They no longer hold conservative moral values. They're not in sympathy with Christians. They're not in sympathy with Jewish people. They're not in sympathy with the people of God. Amen. They have become the majority and their voice has become very loud. Amen. And the attitudes have become very strong against the people of God. And I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm just saying it this morning to be real. Amen. As Christians, we need to make friends with reality. We need to make friends with reality. We need to understand the situation that we find ourselves in. I can remember back in the 80s when there was a movement called the Moral Majority. And it was a conservative group of Christians, and it was a large group of Christians led by Pastor Jerry Falwell. It was established by him, and, and th- there was this movement of Christians to rise up to gain political voice and political power in America. But guess what? The moral majority has become an immoral majority. His own son and daughter-in-law have become sexually involved with the students of the university that he established. The righteous falling down before the wicked are as a troubled fountain in a corrupt spring. And I want you to know we've gone from that moral majority to an immoral majority. Things have changed. And that means that the road before us is a different road than the road behind us. Amen? And I, as, as a theologian, I wish I could tell you things were going to get better. But Jesus said they aren't. They're going to continue. The labor pains are going to become stronger. The tribulations are going to become greater. But what I want us to focus on this morning is that should not call us, us to, stare, to stall out. I want to say something to you this morning. Elections are not a... a a reflection of the will of God. They are a reflection of the majority in a democracy. And I want you to know God doesn't always get what God wants because people don't always go along with him. But I want to know, I want you to know this morning that I want to be in agreement with God. And I believe God wants you to be in agreement with him regardless of whether anybody else is or not. It doesn't make any difference. God has not designed our faith to work only if we have a majority. He said if two or three agree. If two or three agree. 
It started out with two or three. It only takes two or three who are standing in the power and in the will of God to do something incredible. Paul and Silas were two against a multitude, against a whole heathen city. A city that was a principality, a colony of Rome, an expression of Roman uh, authority and, and values and everything else. And here were two men who took the gospel into that city and began where they began to do what God had called them to do. Amen. And as you read this, to me, this is, this is amazing. I love this passage of Scripture. It speaks to me in so many, many ways. But I find a great encouragement in this passage of Scripture because I believe it points in a new direction. It points where God wants us to be. Amen? He wants us to be like Paul and Silas. And so I'm going to focus on them this morning. I don't want us to be like the people in Psalm 137 who said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You know, we sat down by the rivers of Babylon and wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the willow trees and we said, how can you sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Amen. You know, that passage of Scripture has become a popular song. It's not being sung in churches. It's being sung in dance halls because it's got a real lively tune, and people love to dance to it. And they're out there, Babylonians, singing, How Can You Sing the Lord's Song in a Strange Land? Because it's got a great tune and a rhythm, so it's easy to dance to, but they're not listening to the words that they're singing. But while these people were saying, Who can sing the Lord's song in the in a strange land and they were weeping by the rivers of Babylon uh, by another river there was a prophet named Ezekiel who was having a vision of God he was having a vision of God so we can be with the weepers and the people who are retiring their harps on the willows or we can go with Ezekiel and have a vision of God and see what God can do in a situation. That's what the Lord wants us to focus on this morning. We want to look at where they were. They were in the city of Philippi, the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. This is not a little towny town. This is a well-established city built by the Romans as an extension of the Roman Empire. It's a Roman colony. They were praying with a few pagan women on the edge of the city. Notice that these women who were down there praying as it was their custom did not yet know the Lord. But they were still people praying. There are people all around you who are praying. They may not know who they're praying to, but they're praying. They're asking God for something. Amen. And Paul and Silas went and found these women and shared the word of the Lord with them, and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. We need to find the women of Philippi. We need to find the Lydias of our generation. There are people out there 
who are waiting to hear the word of God. They're praying. They're crying out to God, please, please, please. I want to know you. I want to see you. I, I, I want you to, you know, show me your, your power. I need your help in my life. Amen. So Paul and Silas, just in what they did on the Sabbath, there was, there was their custom. They found these women and they began to meet with them and they began to pray with them. And it's amazing to me how that these this woman, Lydia, opened the door for Paul and Silas, said, if you found faithful, me faithful in Jesus Christ, would you come and stay in my house? And gave him hospitality. I know when the founders of our church, pastors Doug and Patricia Rutherford, went to the Philippines a number of years ago. They were in the southern city of Davao. And they had just gotten there, and they were trying to set up for a crusade. And the evangelist had set up a a hotel, but he had not checked it out. It had not been vetted. Anyway, they got there, and they went up to their room and found out that it was filthy, that they were right above a bar, and they were most of the people in the hotel were prostitutes, and this was probably not the best place for evangelists to stay in that city. So uh, anyway, uh, they just said, we cannot stay here. So uh, anyway, they looked at each other and said, what should we do? He says, well, we need some gas in the car. Let's go get gas. And so Pastor Pat got out of the car. She was stretching her legs. She turned her back to, like this to the driveway. And this Filipino woman in a great big car pulls up behind her and honks her horn at her, like, get out of the way. I need some gas. And so Pastor Pat just turned around and smiled at her. And anyway, this woman jumped out of the car, said, who are you? What are you doing in our city? And so she told her. And she said, where are you staying? She says, well, we don't have a place to stay. Well, you must come stay at my house. She was the wife of the general for that area. But that smile, one smile from a saint opened a door. Amen, for them into that city. And they had a great crusade there. But you, so I, I just want you to know, amen, that you know, God has a way to open doors for us. And I believe God's called us. We are those to whom he has said, I have set before you an open door. A door that no man can open and no man can shut. Amen. If I've shut it, nobody can open it. If I open it, nobody can shut it. I have the keys in my hand of my father, David. And I want you to know God has in his hands the keys of his father, David. And he opens doors and nobody can shut them. Amen. There's doors open to you. Many of you have doors open to you in the place that you work. There are people around you that you can speak to. One thing that I miss as a pastor is I miss those days when I was out and I had a secular job and everybody around me did not know Jesus. And I got to share the Lord with a lot of people every day because nobody that I was around was a Christian until I hired some. Uh, Cecil Waite and Mike Dabbs finally came to work for me, so I was very grateful to have some help. But uh, it was wonderful to be in a position where there was always opportunity to share the love of God with somebody every day. Amen. An opportunity to just stand there and be a demonstration of who God's called us to be. Uh, another person that's involved in this 
account of what happened in Philippi is a slave girl. A slave girl. Amen. You know, here's a slave girl. That means she has no rights of her own. She has no voice of her own. Somebody else owns her, controls her, and directs what's going to happen in her life. She has been possessed by a spirit of divination. And she has the ability to to tell fortunes. And some men have taken advantage of this to use her for their own profit. And here's this girl, this a spirit-filled girl. (laughs) Just the wrong spirit. But here she is full of the wrong spirit. And she begins to cry out and said, These men are the servants of God and they've come to tell us the way of the Lord, the way of salvation. You know, somebody with divination can divine certain things and she happened to divine who these guys really were. Like I say, you really don't want a demon broadcasting or advertising for you. You know, because that demon is saying, you know, the things that are being said here are not necessarily the views of the management. But anyway... Because the devil does not agree with it. (laughs) But the devil doesn't control everything, even his own people. Isn't that nice to know? So anyway, but she starts yelling and screaming and follows them around like a puppy dog for two or three days. And the apostles just keep going around. Finally, Paul has had enough. He is annoyed. He is annoyed. He says, I cannot take this another moment. You know, I just want you to know that there's times that we get annoyed. I woke up one day, I was annoyed. Jonathan said, yep, he remembers. I was just annoyed. And I was annoying because I was annoyed. And I was giving my wife and my children a very hard time. And uh, finally, I made my wife annoyed. And about noon that day, she turned around, she stomped her foot at me, and she says, what do you want anyway? I want a new car, and I want to go overseas on a mission trip. I didn't even know that was in me. But I had, the Lord wanted me to say it, and Judy burped me. Forced me to say what was in my heart. But I I just had this annoyance, John. I couldn't bear it anymore. I woke up this morning saying, I'm not sick with COVID. I'm sick of COVID. I'm sick of it. Sick of this disease. I'm sick of what it's doing to people. I'm sick of how it affects our society. I'm sick of it. I'm annoyed. But sometimes you have to get annoyed before you can do something. So when something's annoying you, Just keep praying until God tells you what to do about it. Notice Paul didn't just jump out of the chute. He was not an impulsive man. He was a meek man who waited upon the spirit of the Lord to tell him what to do and when to do it and how to do it. But he did it when the time came. Amen. So sometimes the pressure's on us and and the Lord's trying to squeeze something out of us. Just don't be afraid to open your mouth. Because you might be surprised what comes out of it. But the apostles, because of what was happening here, were, were first they were accused, then they were beaten, and then they were imprisoned. 
So sometimes doing the right thing will cause things that aren't right to take place. They will cause suffering. Amen. And by the way, if you read First and Second Peter, you will find out that as Christians, we are supposed to suffer. Amen. I know modern Christians will do everything in the world to avoid suffering. But the Bible tells us that the testing of our faith is more precious than gold that is tried in fire. And it says, if any man suffers on behalf of Christ, let him glorify God on this behalf. How many of you can go to a praise service when somebody's picking on you? How many of you can glorify God and say, Lord, thank you that I am worthy to be persecuted for the sake of your name. Thank you, Lord, that I am willing and I'm able to bear this. You suffered for me. Lord, here I am. I'm willing to suffer for you if need be. Amen. So the thing is, is that ended up with them being put in prison. So now not only are they in this city, they're in the prison Not only are they in the prison, they are in the inner prison. They're in the very deepest, darkest part of a dungeon. Not only are they imprisoned behind bars of iron, their feet and hands are in stalks of wood. Here the disciples are. They can't go anywhere and they can't move. Their feet and their hands are immobilized. But did that stop them? At midnight, they prayed. At midnight, they sang praises to God. They sang hymns to God. And the prisoners heard them. Woo! And the prisoners heard them. Pastor Jonathan told me about a man he read about, a Chinese pastor who was imprisoned for a number of years. And uh, he was a leader, uh, an important leader in the Chinese church. And so the the prison uh, punished him uh, in every way that they could. And every day they forced him to go stand in a pond of sewage in the middle of of that prison and shovel it out. And he would wade in there every day up to his waist. He was in the sewage and the urine would turn his skin yellow. But he was in there and he decided to make the most of them, most of it. So every day he said, this is going to be my garden. So every day he would begin singing in the garden. And he walks with me He talks with me. He begins to sing out. And you see, there's there's pipes that go out of this pond into every part of that prison. And those pipes going through underground, coming up as a drain in the middle of every part of that prison, became the perfect sound system that carried his song into every part of that prison. And because he kept praising God in that place every day, Everyone in that prison eventually gave their hearts to the Lord. Because if that man can sing in that place, he knows something we need to know. There's somebody listening. 
And are, what are they hearing? Are they hearing the praises and the goodness of our God? Or are they hearing you gripe and moan about all the things that are wrong in your life? What are they hearing? There's somebody listening. And the power of somebody listening is an incredible power. I've shared with you many times the testimony of Pastor Savo, who did not know Jesus, a Muslim man in the, in the country of Niger. And he's standing outside of a building and he's listening to two men have a conversation. And all he heard was this, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin are death. So he went and he had a conversation with the man who told him that. And that man took him to a pastor who led him to the Lord. But all Pastor Sabo heard were those words. The wages of sin are death. But it was enough to save him. Because Sabo was saved. He became a leader in his city. He became the man who opened the door for Bruce McDonald and I to go to the nation of Niger and begin to have crusades and plant churches in that nation. He was the one who was our interpreter for all of those years. And in 2010, through his acquaintances and through those who knew him, he, it opened the door for us to begin a television ministry in the nation of Niger where the, broad, the gospel has been broadcast every week since then because of the door that God opened through that man. And now Pastor Sabo has become probably the, the, the most well-known and strongest Christian leader in all of North Africa because somebody was talking about Jesus. Because he heard a few words of truth, it broke the darkness of his night and let the light of Jesus Christ shine into his life. And because the light shone into his life, that light is shining across North Africa today. Because somebody was talking about Jesus when somebody was listening. Somebody's listening to you. Somebody's watching you. You may not even know that you are on their radar, but somebody is watching you. Somebody sees what you do. Somebody sees your mannerisms. Somebody sees your attitude. Somebody sees what values to you. Somebody sees who you associate with. Everybody sees us, and they remember what they see. So we have to... Make sure that what we say is worthy to be heard and what we do is worthy to be seen. Somebody was listening as they were singing hymns to God. The prisoner, the prisoners were listening. Doing the right thing. Listen to this. This is important. Doing the right thing under difficult circumstances, will invariably have an incredible impact on those who are around us. Did you hear me? Doing the right thing under difficult circumstances will have an impact on other people. If we are hopeful, we will spread hope 
to the hopeless. If we sing in the dark, others will come to the light. It's not about us. It is about him. I think we should be hymn singers, if you don't mind my pun. Let us sing in the dark. Let us dance in the ashes. Hallelujah. Let's rattle our chains if we must to the beat of the music. Different kinds of worship instruments. <laughs> Bang the chain on the floor. Be a prison drummer. Keep the beat to the song of the Lord. Somebody's listening. Look what happened. An earthquake. <laughs> Look what happened, an earthquake. You know, when it seems like we have come to the end of it, God will do something incredible. Absolutely incredible. He'll open the next door so that we can take the next step. But there was an earthquake, a mighty earthquake. An earthquake that was engineered to open all of the doors of that prison. Not only to open all the doors, but to loose all the chains. The chains were anchored into the walls. The earthquake moved the walls and the chains came loose. The stalks of wood shifted apart and Paul and Silas could stand up. But they didn't run off. They stayed in the middle of the opportunity. They stayed in the middle of the opportunity. When you are in a mess, it's an opportunity. We don't run from things. I've had several people tell me this week that they felt like stuck, sticking their head in the sand. And I've been thinking about that. We live in Washington. There's not much sand inland, just mud. Do you really want to stick your head in the mud? Do you really think it will change anything that's happened? Or do you think it will make anything better? No. Sing a song. Don't stick your head in the mud. Sing a song to the Lord. Amen. Because God will send an earthquake. God's got plans. <laughs> He's got power. He's got possibilities that we don't know. I mean, who became their next friend? <laughs> who became the next believer? The prison warden. The guy who beat him. The guy who put them in prison became the next convert. The Bible says, if you walk in the ways of the Lord and are pleasing to him, he will cause your enemies to become your servants. Well, let's go somewhere in this passage. He will cause your enemies to become your servants. I tell you, I've gotten help from some interesting places in my life. When there was nobody else to, around to help, God sent help. And sometimes from some very interesting sources. I was in the nation of Moldova with Pastor Viktor Pavlovsky after communism entered that land, ended in that land in 1992. And here were these 24, 25 
pastors who had ministered through that time of communism and of persecution and suppression. And uh, we were there to, to be able to preach the gospel first time openly, publicly, since the time of Stalin 50 years before. And uh, while we were there, they began to share with us, you know, we were talking with them what their burden was. And, and they looked across the table. Here they were. They, they just barely had enough food uh, to feed their own families. They, they, they were living in a very minimal way and just keeping the churches going and doing basically with the very best they could do with what they had. And we said, what, what, what is on your heart? What do you want to do? And, and the pastor who was lead, helping us and leading in the crusade said to us, he said, well, there are 120 orphans on the streets of the capital city. And we are believing God to give us a place where we can, op can build an orphanage and bring these children to loving people who will be their parents and who will take care of them. That was the first thing they asked for. They didn't ask for new suits. They didn't ask for new shoes. They didn't ask for new cars. They didn't ask for a new sound system. They said, there's these orphans. We want to take care of them. So we prayed together with them. And we had no idea how God would answer that prayer. But you know, there was a man going through their country about a year later. And I think he was maybe trying to escape some problems in one of the Turkestan stands, one of the stand countries. But anyway, he was going through Moldova, and when he got to the border and was about to cross into Austria, he had a brick of gold bullion with him, and the Austrian officials would not allow him to bring it into their country. And said, I'm sorry, you cannot bring uh, gold into the country, especially gold you cannot certify that you've obtained legally. So he turned around, he went back to the capital city, he came to Viktor Pavlovsky's office in downtown of the capital city. By the way, we were able to help them buy that office building. And he was in that office building when this man walked in. And he walked in and he said, what kind of work do you do? And he told them what kind of work that he did, they did. And the education that they were giving the children and trying to help the elderly. And then he shared with them how much they wanted to help these orphans. And this Muslim man took a brick of gold bullion and put it on his desk. And he says, I want to give this to you. And he gave them the brick of gold bullion. This man didn't know Jesus. But Jesus knew him. And Jesus knew the need that was in that city. And it was interesting because they were able to sell the gold bullion and uh, they had a certain sum of money. And uh, they went to this man on the outskirts of their town that had 14 acres for sale. He had a, like an old camping place there that people would take their tents and trailers and he had some cabins that people could rent and he wanted to sell this facility. And so they went out there and they tried to negotiate with them and they found that, asked him how much he wanted and they gave him a certain number and it was twice as much as what they had. And they said, well, we don't have that much money right now. We're going to go back and pray. We'll come back when we do. Guess what happened a couple weeks later? 
the government revalued the currency. And suddenly the currency they had was worth twice as much as it was before. And one of the pastors said, I wonder if that guy has changed the price on his land. And they went out there and he hadn't changed the price. And they were able to buy that 14 acres. They were able to take that land and develop it. And I mean, it's amazing what they have. They have 14 cottages there on that land where they have brought in these orphans. And they have a Christian couple who, who is committed to stay there forever because they want these children to have a home that they can come back to even after they've grown up. And so they've built this. And next to it, they have built a school for 800 students, a high school, the best high school in the nation of Moldova. The government is asking them, how did you do that? And how do you get some tremendous results from your children? So you see, God has a way of opening door. Who knows that a Muslim won't walk in and slap down enough gold bullion in the middle of the table to open the door to do something amazing. Amen? But I, I mean, if you'd told me that story and I didn't know who was involved, I'd had trouble believing it. But I, I've been there. I've seen the land. I've seen the buildings. I've seen the orphans. I've seen the smiles on their house or on their face and heard the songs in their houses. Amen. Because God did an incredible thing. Amen. There. You don't know who your friends will become. But this, this, this prison warden then became the one who would wash the... Anyway. I'm almost done. Well, we'll make it with this one, I think. <laughs> Just be glad this morning if you have no other reason to be glad. I had a dream a few weeks ago. And I dreamed I got up to preach and I went into a trance and I woke up at 1.30 in the afternoon and I was still preaching. And I had no idea what I said. So <laughs> if I'm still preaching at 1 or 12 o'clock, you can go home. But anyway, it scared me. <laughs> What did I say? <laughs> but back to the message. But their new brother was the one who washed their wounds. Their new brother was the one who anointed those wounds with healing ointment. And he and his family were baptized that very night. What a way to start a church. One of the strongest churches of Paul's day was planted. It was made up of, a, of some women who got saved at the laundromat, so to speak. A slave girl who got delivered from a demon. And a warden and his family. A good start for a church. Now I want to just draw a couple conclusions that I think apply to us. I believe as the dark gets darker, that the light will grow brighter. You know, I'm an old man, and I remember certain things that some of you don't know anything about. But I remember a day when the lights in your car did not go off automatically. 
And a lot of times we'd start out in the fog or the dark with our lights on, and the sun would come up, and we would park the car. We would forget to turn off the lights. We would come out to a dead battery. Now, the good news is that never happened at night. Why? Because at night you can see the lights are on. And I believe in the darkness the world can see that the lights are on. As hopelessness arises in so many people's hearts, we have what's needed. Jesus is the hope of the world, and Christ in you is the hope of glory. I believe difficult times will present glorious opportunities to share God's love where it's most desperately needed. Are you excited this morning? What's God going to do next? How's God going to work in these last days? He has an incredible plan, and I'm excited to see what he'll do. One thing that's going to happen is doors that have been closed will open. Some doors that have been opened might close, praise God. But when the good doors open, we need to be ready to rush in and take advantage of that opportunity. Okay? Everybody in this church is a minister. Everybody in this church should be a preacher. Everybody in this church should be a teacher. Everybody in this church should be able to praise somebody into comfort and salvation. Everybody in this church should be able to minister salvation to anyone at any time. Everyone in this church should be ready to minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit to new converts. Amen? Because we're going to have opportunity. If you don't know how to do that, we're going to teach you how to do that. But you need to know that we all are going to be needed by God to do these things in this day. Amen? No one man, no two men, no ten men can do it alone. God is going to have to have every one of us going full time uh, with or full speed and full strength. And so we need to be able to rush in. And some of our liberties might be taken away from us. But I want to tell you what I believe is the truth. Our captivity can become somebody else's liberation. I'm not trying to avoid being thrown into jail, nor am I trying to cause myself to be thrown into jail. But if I get thrown into jail, my goal is to bring everyone there to salvation. I would love to have a week or two to preach to those folks without any interruptions. The other thing we need to know is our, our, our suffering, our difficulties can become comfort to someone else. And we all need to know someone is watching, someone's listening, and someone's being influenced by you. You may not know who it is, but somebody's being influenced by you. I had a Jewish friend during my high school years. His name was Jody Klein. He moved from New York to Arizona the same time I moved from New Mexico to Arizona our sophomore year. And the three of us were buddies for three years. And I never hid from him my faith. 
Neither did I try to force my faith upon him. But I just was his friend. We shared life together. The night we graduated from high school, we sat in the car talking for a long time. It was about midnight when Jody looked at me and he said, John, he says, I, I've never been able to believe the way that you believe, but I want you to know that I respect you and your family for what you believe and how you live. And I, I was just stunned that he was paying attention. Well, a year later, he became a Christian. He's now married, has two sons, and they're serving in the ministry and on the mission field. But I, I had no idea the influence that I had in Jody's life. And you don't have any idea the influence you're having on somebody's life. But be ready and know you are an influencer. The light of Jesus can overcome the darkness. It can sing in the dark. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Our faith should not be circumstantial. God's goodness isn't determined by what happened to us yesterday, today, or tomorrow. Because God is still good even when things are bad. God is still good when things are hard. And that's when we need him the most. As the power of darkness arises, the spirit of lawlessness is loosed in the earth. And the Antichrist becomes more evident. Let's remember what it says in Revelation chapter 7. Because between the sixth and seventh seal, there's a pause. And there's an angel that goes forth from the throne of God to set a seal upon the forehead of the servants of God. And the reason that seal is put upon our head is to mark us so that we don't come under judgment or into wrath because we have been sealed by the Lord. Everybody worries about the mark of the beast. I just want to tell you, get the seal of the Lord. You don't have to worry about the mark. The seal of God will protect us no matter what happens in the earth. Don't harm the earth until I've sealed the servants of God on their forehead. In Revelation 12, 11, it says, it's written, The sacred strength of the saints of all ages. Are you ready for this? What is the secret? What is the power? What keeps us strong? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and because they did not love their lives unto death. Amen. That's who God's called us to be, that company of the committed. But he's called us to be the covenant people of God. You and I are in a blood covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that covenant which we honor and which we keep and which is the most important thing in our life. The blood of the Lamb is what brings salvation, but the blood of the Lamb is what brings sanctification. The blood of the Lamb is what keeps preservation. Amen. It's His blood over the doorposts of our homes and of our hearts that keeps us from evil and helps us in these days. Amen. And so I'm telling you this morning, we need to know that we overcome 
Not because we are powerful, but because he is powerful. Not because of the blood that we shed, but because of the blood that he shed. But we had the word of our testimony. What Jesus Christ has done in your life is a testimony. If you've been healed, tell somebody. If you've been delivered, tell somebody. Don't pretend, amen, or let people draw the conclusion you've always been who you are today. None of us have been who we are today. But we became who we are because of Jesus Christ. But we need to speak With the mouth, confession is made. We need to speak what we believe. I believe. Therefore, I speak. And we need to be committed. You know, when you make that ultimate commitment, every other commitment becomes easy. Every other commitment becomes easy. Next year, Pastor Judy and I will celebrate our 50th anniversary. You want to know one of the reasons we're still married? (laughs) A couple times she just looked at me when I was being ornery and said, you know, there's only one way out of this. It's in a box and you don't want to go there. We said that, till death do us part. But you know, it really helps you straighten up when you need to straighten up because you've made the ultimate commitment, John. (laughs) That was a joke, but it helped me. And it might help you. (laughs) Because when, when you've made that commitment, every other commitment is where it ought to be. Amen. Every other commitment is covered by that ultimate commitment. I will serve him. We stood, Pastor John Branson and I, on the shores of a lake in Moldova as a bunch of Christians were being baptized in 2011. And they all came to the water and they would ask him some questions. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day? And they say yes. And then they would ask the next question and that is do you love the Lord with all your heart your mind your soul and your strength and they would say yes and the last question is how long will you serve him and they all answered till the day that I die till my last and final breath amen as we come to the Lord's table today to remember his covenant with us We also remember our covenant with him. There's power in that covenant.